You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. Ferdinando Verderi is the New York-based Italian creative director that's somehow ever-present, yet always enigmatic. To him, making an impact on the fashion landscape is about delving into the multiplicity of lived experiences. Having worked with many of the most prestigious fashion houses, he also garnered global attention during his tenure as creative director of Italian Vogue. You'll discover in our conversation that he refuses to fall prey to any formulaic way of thinking and find yourself quickly reminded of the many reasons why he's such a leader in the industry today. Freddie really flips a few things on their head in this episode and left us all with an opportunity to look at certain things anew. This is Ferdinando Verderi, and we're talking about what's contemporary now. Ferdinando Verderi, you are one of the leading creative directors in the industry today. And obviously, with so much based on presentation, most people front load the entirety of their resume onto their website. Yet yours has nothing more than a picture of your garbage can with personal contact information. So we wanted to start things off by finding out what that was about. Well, it wasn't really a decision. It just more happened when I somehow had the need to own my domain and I wanted to resist the idea of having to present yourself to the world, you know, in that format. And then I actually never thought about it anymore, but it's an interesting question and thinking about why I feel like I definitely feel there's a value in maintaining the energy that brought me here, which is a very spontaneous and somehow naive energy that doesn't want to respond to the context where I find myself right now. So for me, it's a way to sort of nourish and maintain that energy that's very much about being in the present, doing more than planning. It also leaves room for a really interesting segue because I think that you have a uniquely impressive ability to develop brand stories and create strategies around the way they're expressed in the world. And so it seems as though there's a tangible difference between the way you're approaching your own brand and how that exists in the world versus what it is you're doing for the clients you work with. Maybe, but maybe not in the sense that I think there is a sense of, you know, whether it's a magazine or an institution or a company, I feel like the credit partners I choose have that sort of like irreverent carelessness for the status quo. But I do think that there is an element of, in a way, being in the present that I find maybe is a parallel. It's just like, try to avoid having to explain why you are relevant. I think that's really the death of relevance. I think a lot of people have also been talking about the evolution of a role or rather the role that brands play today. And one of the things I was recently pondering was the idea that brand logos are kind of sigils. They're these representations of meaning that people associate with either as a result of the decisions by people like yourself behind the brand strategies and developments or just simply the way the consumer population perceives them. Do you think that brands are essentially imbued with meaning that's more than just the people behind them? Or do you think that's a little bit too esoteric to bring into the story of marketing? Well, a lot of words like brand or marketing, I don't really think with those words in a way, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I think they carry a load of aspects that I'm not really interested in. Mm -hmm. I think more in terms of point of view or a community and like an ambition, an energy. I feel like what we call brands are really just someone's dream becoming a, like a massive global community that gathers around similarity of, of values and point of views. So you won't find me speaking about those things in those technical terms because mm-hmm. I don't come from that point of view in a way. Less strategic thinking, I suppose. Like you said, it's community building. It's the pillars of values and 
different ideals that ultimately shape the way people perceive that brand rather than targeting certain demos and all of these other things that go into marketing strategies today? I think you can use the word strategy many ways. I think not having a strategy is a strategy, Mm -hmm. but I am not talking about, I mean, I would love to distinguish the idea of strategy from the idea of vision. Mm. I think I'm interested in the vision. I'm interested in very strong articulation of that vision. But the idea of strategy, I think it implies an agenda. And I think agendas are not, agendas want something. And I think wanting something, it's just a bad way to start. I think a vision is a vision that wants to inspire, that wants to be contagious. And I think that is, for me, a much more effortless way to start. The word strategy in itself has a layer of expectation and a layer of overt unsophistication in a way. (laughs) There's always talk around the intersectionality of fashion and culture, obviously, and you've quite literally extracted the current affairs, bringing them to coveted spaces and directional platforms, including Italian Vogue covers, using the power of a cover to tell those stories in terms of the struggle we've gone through in recent years or going so far as to explore the threads of philanthropic opportunities in the work that you've done. Do you feel as driven by culture as you are by aesthetics in terms of how you approach creative direction? I'm not driven by aesthetics, for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm driven by a process. A thinking process. And I think culture, aesthetics, I think those are buckets that are really sort of arbitrary in a way. Mm-hmm. I just felt like a magazine like Italian Vogue had one purpose for me. And when I joined, I made it really clear, which was using fashion to speak about the world. And in, other, in a way, also using the world to speak about fashion. But there was this relationship between a magazine that is quintessentially the fashion magazine, having the sense of freedom and a responsibility at once to make fashion relevant to the issues of the world at hand. And I was very determined to use that platform to create a type of clash between what's perceived as a sort of superficial and what actually interests us at a different level. And I think it's part of the belief that I have in fashion as a force for change because people care about fashion. I think anything people deeply cares about has the opportunity to become a force for provoking thought. So the covers for me were almost like a manifest, like a monthly manifesto of the values of the Italian Vogue voice. And in a time where magazines are arguably not as relevant as before in terms of what they represent as an object, I felt that the cover became much more relevant than ever before because of the amplification that a single image can have online. So I wanted to make sure that the cover would contain at once the provocation and the emotion that I wanted to convey. So you see things like the white cover or the hundredth cover. And those things for me were actions as opposed to just ideas. They were actions because they implied a sense of courage on the magazine side to go out there with something that had never been done before. And I think that your action, it's worth a thousand images in a way, as much as an image is worth a thousand words. I feel like the idea of going out with something that was a risk-taking exercise, I think was communicating at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. And then obviously a lot of these things were topical to the moments we were in time, but a lot of them were also topical to the experimentation around what can a fashion magazine be today. And so there was always some boundaries that I wanted to challenge, but not sort of in a way that would stop there. For me, it was a way to sort of create space for new forms of expression that maybe the fashion industry had been intimidated to access before. And so if we're talking about inclusivity, why just writing inclusivity? Why not do a hundred cover, all of them with different people and some of which people are never going to be on a cover otherwise. And that's an effort of inclusivity that I felt was very straightforward to me, as well as if we talk about 
COVID. And if we want to just to take a step back, why saying we're taking a step back? Why not just having a cover that is silent as opposed to having a compassionate sentence and so on? There's also like a very personal experience on each of these ideas that I think I can relate to my personal state of mind at the time. But I think there's a common energy that was trying to use this opportunity to challenge some of the things that felt unchallengeable. And you mentioned the evolution of magazines and their relevance. What role do you think a magazine cover does play in culture today? I mean, I was really lucky that my first magazine happened to be Italian Vogue. I was given this platform without the expectation that I would know how to do a magazine. And I think that was a good thing about it. And it just felt that it was not a revenge of a certain type of approach, but really more like the celebration of a certain type of approach, which was potentially a post-magazine approach. And so my experience there, I think, started from sort of like a complete lack of nostalgia for what the so-called like better times for magazine. Obviously, I was looking at magazine when I was growing up, but I was under no impression that today a magazine means the same as it meant to me growing up. Mm. And I think that that type of awareness really helped me to try to think really, okay, what's the relevance? I think there's many forms of relevance, but just the idea of contemporaneity that I don't think is only made by the things that are new. It's also made by the things that are old that are interpreted today. I think a lack of relevance is a form of relevance. So I think that the lack of exposure that a magazine has today creates a different form of relevance for a magazine that slowly becomes something that has a completely different function that probably defies the rules of attention spam that a lot of the more relevant thing has to consider and that can become something that you might want to keep forever as opposed to being disposable and it might become something that in my case, because it's meant to be kept, you want to sort of embed with time on your side. So on my side, I was doing all this type by hand and I was actually doing it myself for every issue. And I think it was almost like an experiment in the value of time that you put into the making of something as an incentive for the object to have a value for it to be kept, to define the times of the monthly duration that's written on the cover. And so I think the lack of relevance of magazine today in the traditional sense opens up to different types of relevance. You've also both in the work at Italian Vogue, as well as with brands like Prada, touched upon philanthropic subject matter from environmentalism to animal rights with the absence of fur in a particular issue. How important are these subjects to you in your life in general? I mean, I feel like I try to live up to these ideas that I feel are urgent to be communicating in this platform I'm very lucky to have. And then my life almost follows. I feel like it was very important for Italian Vogue to do an issue about animals. The future of fashion surely affected by this massive dilemma of the ethical question. And I thought it was absolutely blind not to try to at least create an example in which the whole issue was dedicated to animals with the commitment of actually doing picture of animals on the cover, but that was sort of like the more immediate layer about the idea of not having leather or fur inside. To just show that there is a possibility for fashion to survive, to be attractive and to be, you know, relevant without incurring to these massive ethical issues. And the same type of experiment was made for the pollution generated by the photo shoots. You know, we did an issue that was completely illustrated the first time ever, probably, because as soon as photography was invented, magazine really tried to use it as a main medium. But I feel like there is a way to do a fashion magazine that doesn't imply massive ways of creative pollution, like flying troops around the world into these photo shoots. And I think those were examples that are meant to show through creativity that there is another way possible 
they are not obviously meant to be judged in form of something that is the only way to do things, but they are examples that inspire my life and not really the other way around. And how is it different when you're building or developing a concept for an issue like the ones that you've just mentioned versus when you're going into the development of an advertising season for a brand like Prada, which in your work has as many layers to it as what you've done in the editorial space? Is it a similar process or does it differ somehow given that you're not working with a monthly, you're looking at something more seasonal and under the brand of clothing rather than publishing? It is not very different because each of these projects for me is a whole universe. And I feel like it's very hard to compare brand to brand, magazine to brand, issue to issue. Even like I feel like every one of these projects almost lives in its own system of ideas. There's always a process that tries to sort of avail something and in a way push things forward. It's never an aesthetic. And I think eventually the aesthetic is a different layer, but there's always something deeper than form. And I feel like that is why it's hard to compare a project to another. In a way, I would say that there is something that all these things have in common in the purpose of why I do them. But I think it's really hard to distinguish categories. It almost sounds kind of esoteric, the way you approach things, where a lot of the typical metrics are simply a byproduct of the work itself rather than the genesis of it. You don't seem to start with a lot of the same typical targets, which I find incredibly interesting. I try not to fall into the temptation of having a formula of thinking that there is a solution for things. There is one. Because I feel like the energy that allow me the opportunity and the luck to be exposed to such beautiful and respected platform is an energy that is very much thriving into the chaos of the moment. And it's trying not to force, impose something onto a situation that had its own life. So I feel like the moment we start to formalize things, to standardize things, to put like an imprinting on things. I think it's the moment where you just are forced not to look at the complexity of things. I really like to thrive in the complexity of the layers of the lack of a single point of view that we're offered in this world. And like the world is so vast. These things we're talking about are experienced from such different perspectives that I feel like it's very reductive to just reduce them to one. And what do you credit for the life experiences, people, places, and things that have really informed this perspective or this approach that you've had over the years? I'm assuming it's something during your formative years, but I'm very curious. Um, it's hard because then I just feel like crediting equals to thinking that there was like a recipe for things. I studied a lot, but a lack of training what I do. I come from a completely different background. So a lack of training what I do, I for sure offer me the opportunity to look at things knowing that there must be another way of doing things because the way that things had to be done is a way just that wasn't my way. So I think that the whole premises, it's something that if anything, it kept me. And this is the same energy that I don't want to spoil by sort of telling a story, you know, from hindsight of how things happen, because I think it just easily would become a way to regroup things into a form of gratuitous steps. I'm trying to resist that energy and has my trash can website that I haven't seen in a few years. <laughs> well, I suppose it was ironically somewhat of a reductive question to follow your previous answer. Well, it's interesting because I don't think like this, you know, I'm not forced to think like this, but asking me this question, I think has, uh, you know, caused me to find an answer. 
Have you seen the film Everything Everywhere All at Once? It's this brilliant movie that kind of plays into a number of different concepts, including the idea of a multiverse. There was a really beautiful illustration of this coexistence of different things all occurring at once. And the way you extract different threads of culture, be it through your own experience, your observations or whatever it may be, and then ultimately construct them into something of a multi-layered concept. And again, not to go back to the work that you've done with brands, but you've even mentioned yourself, the aspect of layers involved. Mm -hmm. Specifically, in my mind, I was thinking of that particular product season. I think it was 2020. Obviously, you just mentioned that it's not something you can replicate or turn into a formula that other people could then follow suit. But do you think of it that way? Or, or do myself, you or myself, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not just for other people. But is that some, is that a perspective you're cognizant of or is it just the way your mind operates? No, I feel I have a very hard time thinking that there is one point of view for things. Mm-hmm. And I think that is definitely present in my work. I remember one of the first things I've done in fashion was this book that I did. There was like a retrospective book on Jefferson Huck on all his work. And I think that's probably the most immediate example of what you're saying. I did 5,000 different covers, completely different, and uh, numbered so that you know that they are different. And then the covers were made by clashing all the pages of the book in different ways and using an algorithm that code that had never been used for making magazine or books before. It had been used to make personalized messaging for different communities. So like, you know, I, Christopher, the older residents of the West Village between, let's say, 30 and 40. So you combine variation. We use that machine to sort of combine images instead of information. And the idea was to create this book that didn't have a cover. For a retrospective book not to have a cover, it's kind of the opposite of what you're supposed to do. So the idea that there isn't one cover, but there are 5,000 and obviously I haven't seen them all and no one has seen them all and they are wherever in the world and they were done basically by a, a random machine. I think it's a good example of what you're saying. I do find very exciting the idea of fragmentation. And the idea that things are experienced from multiplicity of angles, that is just mind-blowing. I find that the most inspiring way of looking at this form of messaging that we send out there. And I feel like it probably answers your question, but it's almost like if each of us were our own universe. And I don't think it's modern, or to use your language, contemporary at all, to just think that we should all experience things the same way. I'm actually very excited when people are forced to experience things in a way that doesn't really compare to someone else. It's something that I find really inspiring. I sometimes wonder if people already experience things almost unknowingly differently from one another, just because we all view the world through such different lenses that have been shaped by our own experiences. But everything you're saying makes perfect sense. And what would you say your thoughts are on what's contemporary now? Good question. I think that I have a very precise point of view on the idea of what's contemporary and the word contemporaneity. And I think that For me, it does not equate at all to the idea of new. I think the idea of contemporaneity is simply about everything existing in a particular moment in time. And I think something old today is as contemporary as something that is about to be invented. And anything old seen through the eyes of the present, I think becomes contemporary as much as anything just created today or tomorrow. Beautiful. And in the role you play, Do you feel a great deal of pressure to come up with new? I do feel a great deal of pressure to come up with ideas, but I don't think new is the main driving force. It is definitely a consequence of what I try to present to the world, but 
because of this idea of newness that I find really relative, new is not necessarily the key word. I think that if I wanted to come up with something new, I wouldn't end up coming up with something new. So I try to liberate myself from this notion of a linear region of time where something is new or old. And I really try to inject attention into something that ends up being new because it has hopefully an original process behind it. And anything that has an original process behind it that is not standardized, that is not predicted, I think ends up being new. But I think the moment you set up to come up with something new, you ignore what I was trying to define in my previous question, which is the idea of time being almost like this continuum that constantly reinterprets ancient ideas into new one. And it's just really about the perspective from which you look at things at. And I think that for me, it's important. A hundred percent. Last question. Do you think of yourself as an interpreter of the zeitgeist? No. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> I think of myself as a contributor to the zeitgeist, but I think the idea of interpreter is too passive. And I think we need to contribute and then let the zeitgeist interpret itself. I'm living for these answers. Thank you again for taking the time. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. Special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, Joseph Topmiller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Saw for the original theme music, and Aaron Marr for visual design. Subscribe now for a new episode each week, and for additional content, find us on social or at whatscontemporary.com.